You're listening to Women Leading Prevention Science, where we host candid conversations with some of the most accomplished women in the prevention science field. Each episode features a conversation with two female researchers who will discuss the public health problems they're trying to solve through their work and tell the stories of their journeys into the field. I'm Sarah Hairgrove, a public health analyst at RTI International. I began working in substance use prevention research after graduating from The Ohio State University in 2020, and I'll be starting graduate school this fall at the University of Maryland to obtain my master's in public health and health equity. As I move through my early years as a prevention scientist, it's an honor to speak with these inspiring female leaders in the field. This podcast was developed as part of the Heal Prevention Cooperative, funded through the NIH Helping to End Addiction Long-Term Initiative, an aggressive effort to speed scientific solutions to curb the national opioid public health crisis. The Heal Prevention Cooperative includes 10 research projects throughout the country and one coordinating center based at RTI International in the Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. Danica Knight, Professor and Associate Director of Research at Texas Christian University's Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development, and Dr. Margaret Kuklinski, Associate Professor and Director of the Social Development Research Group in the School of Social Work at the University of Washington. We'll be discussing their unique experiences balancing work and caregiver roles, the important role their mentors have played in strengthening their ability to find that balance and advance their careers, and how they mentor others to find the same balance and identify the kind of work that excites them. We began with a discussion about how both Margaret and Danica made the choice to step back in some way from their careers to raise their children. Margaret left the workforce for nearly a decade, and Danica made the decision to work part-time. I hope that my example is a good one for others who are really trying to balance the challenges that, as women in particular, we so often face. and professional life and life outside of that. So um, my undergraduate degree is in economics and my doctoral work was in clinical and community psychology. And after working for a few years after I received my degree, um, I really was not enjoying the balance of work and life so much. And I was in a position to be able to step back from the workforce for a bit. And I spent about nine years raising my kids full time. And I was privileged to be able to make that choice. I, I recognize that. I also made that choice knowing that it might have consequences for my career growth. So it, it wasn't a decision I made lightly, but was the one that I needed to make, I think, for my own equilibrium and also just what was good for our, our family. So there came a time when my kids were in late elementary school and middle school when I was ready to pursue professional life again. And I will say that's that's not an easy thing to do after having been away for so long. And it took me a while to find a job. I knew I wanted to get back and work with colleagues. I didn't want to do isolated clinical work. I wanted to be in a setting where I could interact regularly with other professionals. And I, I looked, I lived near the University of Washington, and an opening came up at the Social Development Research Group. And I applied, and with support from prior mentors, they, I, I will say they took a chance on me, someone who had been out of the workforce for a fairly long time at that point. I was invited to bring the two parts of my background together to learn benefit cost analysis and application of economics, and also evaluate a preventive intervention called Communities That Care. This was a chance I jumped at. It was, you know, I never would have envisioned that I would get to bring these two parts of my 
intellectual world together in that way in an organization that was a leader in prevention science and also this wonderful group of colleagues. And through the support of a NIDA professional reentry supplement, I came back into the workforce and I've been at SDRG for the past 12 years. So I'm very grateful to all of the things that came together and resulted in the beginning of my journey at SDRG. My journey began, my undergraduate degree was in music therapy, which I always thought that I would just be a music therapist working directly with adults and youth. And what I loved when I worked in uh, psychiatric hospitals, I loved working with the teenagers um, and I loved working with the substance use uh, clients. Those were the two of my favorite. And what I've found over the years is even though I'm not in music therapy at all, um, I left that field and, and went into a PhD in experimental psychology, originally because I thought there's no research on the effectiveness of music therapy. There, there is some, but not in terms of practical. So that was my motivation. Um, but I fell in love with developmental science. So I ended up kind of as a stopgap working part-time um, as a research scientist at TCU my husband was offered a full-time position, and I was also offered a full-time position at the Institute of Behavioral Research. But I was, we knew that we wanted to start a family. So like Margaret, I was in that place of, okay, how do I do this? And I was in a fortunate role to be able to say, well, I'd love to work, but I want to work part-time, half-time. So I worked half-time, and then we always had a, a student who worked with us and I would just build my schedule around their class schedule. Um, and we were fortunate that it was actually, we were able to hire the two daughters of one of the secretaries. And it was wonderful and a, and a wonderful way for me to kind of balance that family and work uh, responsibilities. But like Margaret, I didn't, I, I counted on the half time, you know, I'd, I'd invest half, time, if you will. But I hadn't thought about the fact that I would only, in many respects, have half of the opportunities. Um, because at that time, the Institute was really mostly men. I was one of the few female scientists. Um, and even though there was a lot of support for me working part time, there were many instances where, you know, I wasn't necessarily included or invited to be a part of things. Um, that I might have been if I had been full time. And I think that was, they were being sensitive to me and my priorities, but it was also hard because I wanted to be involved in everything, but I had to set those boundaries. I just want to pick up on what Danica said in that we both needed and found ways to have this field, this work, this profession be flexible. And I, I think that that can be a really nice thing when you're juggling raising kids with a demanding career, not without consequence, but then to ramp up over time as energy and other responsibilities allow. And that can be promising for people. And my advice to younger women is to stay in if they can. Don't pull out like I did if you can, if you can find ways to do that. I think that's good advice. There were lots of times where I thought, oh, I cannot do this. And I was teaching for a while as well. Um, so I was doing my course prep and my, you know, grading 
at home. And I had to, I had to let that go completely. The research pieces of it, I could do at home. I mean, I'm sorry, I could keep at the office and not bring home with me. Uh, but the teaching, I really had a hard time balancing that. One of the things for me though, is that I wasn't very assertive when I was younger in my career. And so I had, um, a woman, Lois Chatham, who was deputy director of the IBR at the time, who really advocated for me. She always had my back. And so that's really shaped me in my career now, thinking about, you know, how can I just advocate or help equip young women to advocate for themselves and their needs? Because without her standing by my side, I don't know that I would have had the confidence when my director said, you know, why don't you consider going full time? And I would say, mm, no, not yet. Not quite. I kept saying, when my kids go to school. And then it was, well, when my kids go to middle school. Well, when my kids go to high school. But even in high school, I wanted to be able to attend the games after school. So, um, so I didn't grow up, if you will, and go full time until my youngest graduated from high school. I want to piggyback on Danica's comment and give a shout out to my first mentor in um, graduate school, Rona Weinstein. Her area of expertise is teacher expectations and self-fulfilling prophecies, and her expectations are very high, but she also has always provided the support and encouragement to, to reach those expectations that she and her students set together. And she's been just such a wonderful example of a mentor. She's one of those dear individuals who are so generous of spirit and time and also do amazing work. And I hold her in my head and heart as I do my work. And as Danica said, this desire to give back and to be there for, it is true that I'm there not just for the women in my organization, but for the men as well, for, for all people who are trying to to grow professionally. But I think that um, for women, I really want to, in particular, I really want to make space for those conversations about juggling. And that's not to say I wouldn't be open to those conversations with men. I just think that they more often come my way with women juggling parenting and work roles. And I, I just as someone who has been there, I, I just want people to feel supported as they grapple with that. Yeah, and I just want to emphasize the validity of both of your experiences and people that are experiencing similar circumstances. Um, I believe one of you brought up on a previous call, and Danica, you just mentioned, you know, 50% work also meant 50% of the opportunities. Um, that also means maybe 50% of the after-school basketball games or 50% of the breakfast or lunch together in the summer. And I think that is a really difficult sacrifice to make in any direction. So whether that's stepping away completely or figuring something else out and stepping into work completely. Um, well, and Margaret and I both had the financial luxury of being able to work part-time. And that's not so, a reality for a lot of right. young professionals with children. Um, so there are a lot of hard choices. And there's no, one of the things I kept reminding myself and I've reminded others in similar situations is that there's no right or wrong decision here. It's really what's best for you and your family what it is, how you want to balance your career and, and your uh, family responsibilities. Lots of ways to do it and we can be creative. In addition to the balance of work and family, 
Danica and Margaret also shared that they had to juggle their roles at work between researcher, teacher, and mentor. I think back to what we were talking about earlier, finding time to really invest um, individually um, is hard. It's tricky when you're balancing, um, you know, being PI on, on grants and then administrative responsibilities, teaching responsibilities. That's probably one of the, one of the trickiest things that I would say for that, me. Anyway. That, that's exactly what I would say. It's the, the work itself is a joy. I, I feel like I, I've, had the chance to work with strong students at different points in their journey, so different developmental tasks. But um, it is it is the time to do this thing that's so meaningful when there are many, many other things calling. And I will say that sometimes the things that sort of pay for that are sleep, stress, and family time. And so it's 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 a challenge. It's really rewarding, but it is a challenge time-wise. I have one of my students that um, she, she had a new little baby in January. And so it's been really challenging for her to get her thesis written with a, with a newborn, you know. Mm, um, imagine that. But, <laughs> you know, she's doing it and she's doing a great job. But of course, you know, the timing of trying to get her defended landed, it's next week is her defense date. And so, you know, she's mm -hmm. working on her draft and sending it to me while I'm on vacation so that I can read it on the plane from one place to the next. And, you know, just, I'm not recommending that because really we all need to be able to unplug when we go on vacation. Yep. But as a mentor, you feel this obligation to your students where you, you feel like, well, you know, I promised I would give feedback and, you know, this person's invested all of this time. So I'll just let this cut into my, my vacation, you know, and the little, little by little, lots of things are cutting into your vacation. So not necessarily a good practice, but. Margaret and Danica's mentors played key roles in their careers, helped them establish work-life balance that worked for them, and possess qualities that they not only admire, but also try to emulate in their own mentor-mentee relationships. Qualities that I value and admire in my mentors, there, there are a few. It's an integrity that they bring to their work and how they are with people. It's that sort of that, that dearness, that kindness, coupled with hard work and building a body of work that people really admire over time. I, I think they both, and I'll say this for my mentors, I admire what they've been able to do intellectually and out in the world, but it's also the way that they are with people. It's that combination. And I, I want to try to be that way in my interactions with people too, to do excellent work over time. There's no single masterpiece, it's a collection. And in the work that we do, it's very much team science. So being part of a, a team and um, a contributing collegially and collaboratively. I think they've also, in their various ways, tried to help me trust myself and believe in myself and, and finding one's own center and way of being 
we all do do things differently and that is okay. That is part of what makes organizations tick, that people bring different strengths and qualities to the table. And that's a voice I, I need to have um, be turned on a little loud as I am still at the beginning of this leadership journey, you know, to figure out your own way of being and that as a leader and that that can be valuable too, even if it looks a little different from what's come before. Yeah, I, I think for me, the biggest takeaway is the importance of connection and relationships in everything. It permeates everything. And oftentimes it's easy um, to focus on the outcomes or the outputs and the tasks and the deadlines and not make time for, for others. It's real easy for me just to kind of put my head down, focus on my work and, you know, let's, and what happens then is the students that I'm mentoring or the colleagues on, on the various teams, you know, not only are they not connected to you as, as kind of a supervisor or a mentor, but oftentimes our value comes from what we learn in connection with other people. And so particularly with graduate students, for example, it, it would be easy for me just to say, oh, you know, let me just quickly read through that draft without taking the time to really invest in feedback um, or say, oh, I don't have time for weekly meetings because my schedule is so busy. But making time, you know, people made time for me and it made such a big difference. And so and it it really all comes down to relationships. So rather than each morning as I'm walking into the office, part of my brain is going through, what do I have to do today? What are all my meetings? What do I have to accomplish? But then I always pause and as I'm walking up the steps, I say, okay, what I'm really here for today is to connect with people, to do this work together. Um, and I've gotta be productive, but I can't do it at the expense of my relationships. So I think, my goal as a mentor is well I'll, I'll just say what i love about those moments when you're when you're working with a student or a, a newer colleague and you're you're kind of going through different options or different issues or different concepts or whatever and there's this aha like for example is working with an undergraduate who's um, going to be doing her honors thesis under me next semester. And so we were brainstorming different ideas that she might explore as part of her undergraduate honors thesis. And she was like, okay, okay, that's a good one. Oh, okay, that's good. And then all of a sudden we mentioned something and she, her eyes lit up and, and I was like, that's it, that's it. It was just this um, almost a visceral response that she had, a positive excitement, engagement. And so my goal as a mentor is to find those sweet spots, the places that energize and excite students. Danica, you really described exactly what I would say. I feel like my job is to, as a mentor, is really to help people actualize themselves you know, what, what they want to do and find that and support it and support the skill development that they will need to uh, have success at what they're trying to do. But it is very much supporting that individual journey in the way that 
they want it to take shape. And I, I just love the way you talked about it. I had similar experiences with students in my class who were doing individual projects. They had to apply an implementation science framework to a goal that they had. And I met with each of them to try to figure out what this project was going to, to look like and had that similar experience of, well, maybe this, uh-huh, maybe that, yeah, sure. But then when you hit it and you, you see them open up and get excited by the fit of that framework to what they're wanting to do, it is, um, it's, it's really energizing to everybody who's involved in that conversation. It's clear that the choices Danica and Margaret made to balance their personal and work lives led to their careers in prevention science. While they both find the work rewarding, they acknowledge that it wasn't easy and that setting boundaries to find that work-life balance was critical. They want women to know that it is never too late to have a career in prevention science. I would just love to pick up on this idea of the demands being Unrelenting sounds too negative, but they are ubiquitous. They, 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 they never cease. And I really do think that everyone has to figure out how they can set some boundaries on it, whether it's work from home and so one needs boundaries to not constantly be trying to do both roles at once, the family role and the work role. And I, I just want to advocate for people practicing carving out time routinely and realizing that their work does not suffer for that, that in fact, it's probably all better for it because you come back a little fresher. And this was something that I started to do in grad school. I was married and even before I had kids, I took one day off a week. And I know that sounds so basic, but it didn't feel easy at the time. It felt really hard but that was a good thing for my work-life balance and therefore it was a good thing for my work. And even now I, I start really early. People know that I'm up really early and that gives me a little bit of time for my own work before all the meetings start. But what it also means is that I'm done later in the afternoon. I go to the gym. I don't often work at night unless I really have to. I, I do work on the weekends, but I try to do that early but I, I try to have that time that is a little sacred for family and other interests that are important to staying rejuvenated. And I just encourage everyone to figure out what those are for them because we all need that in some, some way, especially if you wanna be able to keep doing this work at this level of intensity over time. Uh, well, maybe the one thing I would add is that, you know, when I, when I talk with undergraduates who say, you know, I don't know what I wanna do next, um, they often come in thinking that they've got to have this plan. You know, if I want to be a doctor, I've got to do A, B, C, D. But, you know, if I want to go into prevention science, what is the path? Um, and so one of the things that I encourage uh, the students to really think about is what excites you and what makes you just eager to learn or eager to work. And that's where your interest needs to go. And it, in terms of that, like thinking about your overarching plan is important and is good, but at each juncture, just making that next right choice, the next best decision for you is all you really need to focus on at the moment. 
I just want to wholeheartedly second that. And making that right choice will then lead to the next right choices. And if you work hard, do your best to get along with people, it will lead you in a good direction if you do what Danica is advising. Well, and neither of us, Margaret or myself, ever imagined us in the roles where we are today Mm -hmm. in leadership roles in our institutes. Um, And yet here we are because we made one choice at a time. That's Mm -hmm. right. There is, I think, too much pressure on young people to have figured out their passion at a young age. I did not have a passion when I was 16, except maybe for baking. <laughs> I love to bake, you know, and, and I, I think it is much more like what Danica said, do what interests you, try to do it as best you can. That will lead you in a good direction. Mm-hmm. And just from what you all have said so far and from the women in the other podcast, that seems like so much of what leads to success in this field is the people you come across and the people mm-hmm. that are willing to help you succeed. So I think each choice you make puts you in a new room with a new group of people that are able to help you move into the next room. Um, and that's right. so critical. Yeah. It's all about connections, the relationships mm-hmm. that you build. I also wonder about women that are maybe in science generally, maybe not, um, but that hear things like this or that have kept up with opioid trends lately and that are interested in prevention, but mm-hmm. may feel that it's too late to start that or to, to take on that journey. It's never too late, never too late. Well, and, and uh, the, the namesake of our institute, the Karen Purvis Institute. So Karen Purvis got her PhD when she was 53 years old, and she went on to do wonderful, amazing work um, later in her career after she had already raised her own children and done work in other areas, um, brought all that together to build a synergy that has really changed families children's lives um, and we're in the process of doing some amazing work across the globe with even systems of governments to change the way that they do foster and adoptive care for children so you never know and it is never too late thank you both for taking the time to speak with me today and thank you to our listeners for joining us for women leading prevention science We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll continue to join us as we host candid conversations with some of the most accomplished women in the prevention science field. We hope you'll share this podcast with your prevention science colleagues and with any young women you know that may be interested in pursuing a career in science. For more information on the HEAL Prevention Initiative, please visit heal.nih.gov.